Hey, welcome to the Victory Family Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Kingdom Builders. Uh, Pat Summers and I have been friends for going on well, well over two decades, and he's a church planting machine. They've been planting churches, and you've been helping Kingdom Builders for a long time in planting churches in Cuba and in that terribly oppressed nation. Thank you for that. And I want to take a moment, though, and I want to welcome our campuses, Meadville and Newcastle. We love you all. We're so grateful to be one church in three locations. We also want to welcome those of you that are with us today online. Our prayer today is that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, does something great in all of our lives. Cranberry, would you welcome the campuses and the online audience? We love you guys so much. Now, most of you I, I would, would know about Kingdom Builders. Some of you may be new to Victory, and, and, and I don't have time to give full context, but we, we talk of Kingdom Builders all year. It's the giving arm of our church where we give outside of our walls, trusting God to, to give outside of our walls $1.6 million in 2021 in three basic areas, in world mission projects, and then in local, the local church expansion in our nation, and that includes our backyard, and then raising up future Christian leaders. And so we had our impact offering back uh, a, a few weeks ago. And uh, up into the date of, uh, of November 19th, here's what you gave just in November. The impact offering up to November 19th was $734,515. Come on, man. That's just in November. I'll be announcing the full total of Kingdom Builders in January of 2022. But last week we announced the family in our church came and said, listen, we would like to do a match to the end of the year. Because you see, you can give into Kingdom Builders right through the end of the year. And everything above the $1.6 million is going to be sent right back out by, by the year's end. In fact, many of you, those here, those in our other campuses and online, uh, we're going to enlist you to do it. Some will be on Zoom calls across the world. Some will be in person. And there's going to be a lot of wonderful surprises coming to ministries that are desperately in need of, of the funds to do what they're called to do. And so there was a, a family in our church that said, now through the end of the year, we're going to match up to $250,000 given. We'll match it. And so just last week, uh, over $28,000 came in toward Kingdom Builders, and it multiplied up to over 56000 So guys, thank you for being Kingdom Builders. Thank you for making a difference in the earth. What a privilege it is, isn't it? I want to pick up where I left off last week, and if you weren't here last week, I, I would so strongly encourage you to go back and listen or watch the message, because it will give you more context for today, but I uh, won't be able to go over the, that material today. But we're talking about what I'm calling the paradox of Christianity, the paradox of Christianity. All the paradox is, it's a situation, it's a person, a thing that combines contradictory features or qualities. Uh, for example, if I said these words, uh, I, I, I always lie. Well, that's a paradox because if I always lie, how do you know I'm telling the truth? That's a paradox. How about this? Nobody goes to that restaurant. It's way too crowded. Paradox. Let me move you into the primary paradox that people struggle with with Christianity. A virgin birth. A virgin birth. That's a paradox. Before the end of this month, as we get closer to Christmas, I'm actually going to take you into the scripture to show you the why of the virgin birth. But the virgin birth actually reveals the ongoing struggle that Christians and non-Christians alike have with walking with God. And it's the mixture of God in human flesh. Jesus was all God 
and he was all man. And people sometimes, they need him to be one or the other. Those who reject him say, well, he was a good man. And those who, who want to, to understand his, his, the magnificence of who he was deny that he was also in a human body. But he was both. And that paradox settles into the way we see God. And it's one of the greatest limitations for people to walk with God. And, and let me talk to you about, about why that is. Here, here's the main paradox that people have to deal with. Feeling spiritual. Feeling spiritual. It's a paradox because it will never happen. You may have good days and moments where you're praying or whatever and something happens and you feel really, I mean, your heart's just touched and you're worshiping God. Those are wonderful moments, but that's not how life is every day. Feelings constantly come, and if you, we don't have time to reiterate it, but last week we talked in depth about how in your physical body is this constant pull away from God. And we talked about that. We don't have time to go into it today. But so how can I be spiritual yet feel this way? It's one of the greatest struggles that humans have. Men actually deal with this even more so than women. And let me tell you why. Even though our culture tr- tries to basically tell you male and female uh, are, are, are not really that significant, they really are because male and female are the image of God in the earth. And God made men and women very differently not better or worse, but differently because uh, the woman reveals a part of the image of God that a man doesn't. But when you put the man and woman together, you see the full image of God in the earth. But women, if you will, have, have been given the oper- this capacity that, that more reveals the, this part of God's nature is that they, they can deal and see and feel emotionally from one horizon in their life to the other. They can be aware of things that, that will pass men by. For years and years, I mean hundreds and hundreds of times now in our marriage, Michelle would bring things to my attention. I didn't overlook on purpose. I just didn't feel it. Men feel. It's not that we don't feel. We just feel in more limited places. And so it's not a good or a bad. You need both. But here's the reality. Because men are not that good with feelings. It's not that, and some of us as men, even culturally, our feelings have been broken. It's that you, you, if you feel, that's just bad. Or we go the other extreme, that you have to feel everything. And that's not good either. It, you see, feelings are neither right or wrong. They're just indicators. But men struggle with walking with God. Let me tell you, not once or twice, but I'm not exaggerating, in 40 years of ministry, I would, I would tell you over a thousand times, men have said this in some form to me. I'm not very spiritual. And if they're married, my wife's the spiritual one. Here's what they mean. I, I, I never feel spiritual. I never feel like I think my wife feels. And by the way, she probably doesn't feel how you think she does. She just can talk about it better than you can. Because men aren't always the best with verbiage. And sometimes women are. And more so than the man. And so she may describe something that he can't, well, he thinks, well, she feels. And so he said, well, I'm not really spiritual. Because men don't know how to deal with the paradox as well as women don't of having this constant pull away from God, yet having a heart that wants to go after God. Let me give you an example. Years ago, there was a young boy uh, in our youth group, and this was well over 20 years ago, and uh, and he was was hyper-spiritual. Do you all know what that means? Hyper-spiritual is when you can't stand the fact that part of you is trying to pull away from God, so you just want to deny it. So he wouldn't go to any youth events where they were having fun. It was, it was superficial. And he thought we should be praying. 
And so he would go, when they would do that part, he would go to another room and just pray. And he thought it was spiritual. And it wasn't spiritual. It was unhealthy. And, uh, and so I was talking to him about it. In fact, he came to see me. And at that time, uh, we were in an office that wasn't in our building. And, and it overlooked a parking lot. And to illustrate it in the extreme, and I hope I want to make sure you get this. Last night I had a, somebody question, like, what did you mean by that? So please listen closely right now. If not, I could get myself in trouble, okay? So I said to the young man, to illustrate in the extreme, I said, uh, can I ask you a question? I said, if right now I was in this room alone and outside that window where I, they couldn't see in, there were four ladies out there completely naked. And he went, and you could just see the room got tense. I said, how long do you think I'd look? Because I wanted him to define for me what he thought spiritual was. And he didn't know what to say. I said, let me tell you what the human makeup makes you liable to do. I said, I'm going to look until they leave. <laughs> but, 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 but you love God. Uh-huh. Yep. Then why would you look until they leave? I said, do you know the Bible doesn't tell you to be strong in that environment? It tells you to flee that environment. Don't ever put trust that you can go into environments of destruction and think you're going to be able to navigate it well because you won't. Because you don't put any confidence in, your, in that part of your makeup. I said, so it's not wrong of me because do you, y'all do know God made men to be eye-wired. <laughs> Come on, you can be honest with me. We're in church that don't lie. If you are married, when your husband goes to the shower, it's a whole other episode than when you go, if you're a woman, right? Woman goes to the shower. She looks like she came out of a Taliban convention when she was bastard. She's wrapped in robes and her head. No, you can't see skin. She puts a burqa on. Because she knows once she walks by you like you would walk by her, it's going to change the day. It's going to change the day. And so sometimes, and I was rehearsing this in a service, trying to help people understand that spiritual doesn't mean that you aren't tempted. Temptation isn't a sin. It's when you yield to it. And so I was beginning to share about men and women and the difference. Because we had a desire the day we started the church was to make certain that men could walk with God in this environment and not create a spirituality they didn't understand and make them deny their spirituality because of how they feel. You see... God made men that way. That doesn't mean it should rule your life. So I was just sharing about marriage that fidelity is not the inability to cheat on your spouse. It's the choice not to. If you can't, if you can't, but if you have to be faithful simply because you can't even, you're not even capable of being unfaithful, then you're not even being faithful. Faithfulness only exists when the opportunity to be unfaithful is in the human makeup. So that's why fidelity is so precious. It's a choice. Well, because I told that story, this lady came out with her husband through the line. And as I greet after the services here at the Cranberry Campus out by the fountain, uh, this was just a, a real narrow line in that our old building over on the other side of Cranberry. And she didn't say hello to me. She looked at me and here's all she said. You're a pervert. <laughs> and I said, well, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> You're a pervert. My husband's not like that. I said, really? He isn't. No, my husband would, he'd never want to look at another woman. And now he's behind her and I'm about to tell her that her husband's been lying to her. (laughs) 
Because, you see, and her, quote, spirituality makes him be deceptive. So he tells her what she needs to hear. And all the while, he thinks he'll never walk with God. Because if I really love God, I, I, I couldn't be attracted to anybody else. That's a lie. And I was about to tell her, and he's behind her. And here's what he did. He's like going like this, please. Like you can hear him, like the, the facial expression. Oh my God, please, please just shut up. Please, please, you're going to ruin my life. So she left, I guess, thinking I was a pervert, but I, but I gave the guy the best I could. Off they went. That's a paradox everybody lives with. Men very often feel they can't be spiritual. Because, the, and women, by, by the way, have other areas of their life that they may have a, a, a strong, if you will, draw toward that would make you feel unspiritual. And then we share a bunch of them together. But what I want to help you to understand today is the solution to the paradox. And I want to take you to a scripture that actually defines the solution while expressing the paradox. Let me read it to you out of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. In fact, the book of Philippians is a paradox. It's called the, the book or the epistle of joy. Why is that a paradox? Because Paul wrote it in prison. Christianity is one big paradox. Listen to what he said. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions or disciplines. Say out loud, disciplines. All of our campuses say it, disciplines. Say it where you hear, it matters. Disciplines. When I was with you, now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work out your own salvation by choosing to obey God with reverence and awe, shrinking back from all that might displease him, not in your own strength, for God is the one who is constantly working in you. Now listen very closely. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This scripture shows you a paradox. One hand he says, work out your own salvation. And then the next hand he said, but it's God working in you. Well, which is it? Is it me working out my salvation? Meaning I have to choose, as he said, to obey God and reverence God. Is that what, or, or, or is it God working through me? Which is it? Well, it's both. And that's the paradox. And most people struggle. In fact, most people fall into the trap of their own strength. And that's why he actually said here, he said, you have to work out your own salvation. These are the disciplines, if you will. He said, but, 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 he said, but not in your own strength. It's a paradox. And it's my hope today to help you win that paradox. In the, in the coming couple weeks or so, to give you even more insight how you can truly have an intimate relationship with God in the midst of this paradox. And, and you see, so here's the question. How do I engage in, in actual disciplines of working out my salvation, but while I'm fully trusting and knowing that if I do it well, it's God working in me? Now, let me give you a, a key in walking with God that applies everywhere in your life. Every part of your walk in the earth requires God and flesh, everything. You need a body to express God in the earth. That's why Jesus took one. But please get this. There are two sides to the equation in everything you will ever be, do, or even relate to God with. There is the God side of the equation and the man side. Both are important. God will not do the man side, and I cannot do the God side. Here's a spiritual principle that will help you. Never put the man side first. 
Put the God side first because the God side is what empowers the man side. If you want to find out where you're struggling, you'll find that you're not focusing on what he did for you and through Christ in you first. You're thinking of what you need to stop doing, start doing, fill in the blank. And I want to help you not to do that today. Now, how do you do that? He said very simply, and here's point number one out of that verse. It is God working in you. It's my only empowerment. If there's anything good in me, the scripture said it's him. Jesus said in the flesh, in your body, in its makeup independently of God, dwells nothing good. And yet this body is sacred. Yet this body is, is the image of God. And it's a paradox. So how is it that God can be working in me and be my only empowerment, yet I have to make choices that can appear to be independent of that. Let me read you from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. The scripture says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Everyone say gift. Please remember this. The moment you earn something, it ceases to be a gift. He says your salvation, your right standing with God, is only gifted to you through Jesus. Now listen. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Say it out loud, I'm God's masterpiece. But would, is it safe to say that you, you don't always, I don't always feel like a work of art? But this is how God sees you. He says, you're my masterpiece. Now you might come back to him and say, God, you don't have any idea. You must not know how messed up I am. You must not know how I feel. You must not know my struggle. Because you think God defines you based on your weaknesses rather than his love. And that's the lie that absolutely paralyzes people. He said, you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Listen, so we can do the good things he planned for us a long time ago. So there is a place in God where you realize that Christ in you is your empowerment. God's grace is God's ability in you to do what you can't do without him. So the reason I started with this, rather than going into the disciplines, or if you will, working out your own salvation, which are the disciplines, is because what Christians will want to do is to make the disciplines their God. And it will be void of any kind of a relationship with God. The disciplines of which I'm going to talk to you about are prime, in fact, not primary, they are singularly about developing an intimacy with God. And they get so easily twisted when they become something that you do to make God love you, to get God to do something for you. So the second part, the second part of this verse is you work out your own salvation or the disciplines. But here's the question. So how do I engage in these disciplines without getting stuck in the religion of it? I need to pray, I need to read the Bible, I need, I need, I must, I must, I should stop, I should stop. And now you have a list of all these things you need to start, stop doing. How does that not become just some religious list? How does that list not become almost a burden you can't carry? How do you go from that list to the paradox of which Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? There is no such thing as an easy yoke or a light burden. 
But walking with him, he said, what people will make a yoke or tie you to something and a burden, something you have to carry through life. He said, when you walk with me, that's not how it is. So here's one of the keys. Don't confuse discipline with punishment. Don't confuse discipline with punishment. You'll hear people say, I disciplined my kids. What does that mean? Does that mean you punish them? Or does it mean you discipline them? They're not the same thing. Discipline is very simply this. It's when somebody is acting upon instructions, correction, or warnings. Punishment is when you pay the price for what you did wrong. And it's why many people in raising their kids is that they punish their kids. I'll take this from you. I'll take that from you. And and the punishment is basically dealing with what they did. Discipline is dealing with why they did it. And so discipline is more about training somebody. So the disciplines, if you see it as punishment, who wants to be punished by God? Most people think that's what he wants to do anyway. But Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would have everlasting life. And listen, Jesus went on to say, for the son of man did not come into the earth to condemn it, but that through him the world might have life. So these disciplines of which I'm about to speak to you require us to understand they come at the heart of God to create an intimacy with God, but they have to be done intentionally. So how does that intentionality, but yet empowered by God, how does that actually melt together? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a pastor, the pastor at the church at Ephesus, and he said this. Stay clear of silly stories and discussions that get dressed up as religion. We could meddle there, but I'll stop. Rather, exercise. Say it out loud, exercise. Exercise daily. Oh, Jesus, help me. Exercise daily in godliness. No spiritual flabbiness, please. That's from the message. Verse 8. For physical exercise is of some value. But godliness exercised has value for everything in your life. Having this promise, not just for the life that you're living, but the one to come. He said, when you exercise godliness, it will benefit you in the life you're living today. And, and, and when you go from this life to be with the Lord. The word exercise in the Greek is where we get our word in our vernacular for, the, for gymnasium. Exercise, it literally means to go and work out. And, and that's where we get our word gymnasium. Now, it's, it's coming up on December very soon. You're, if you're on Instagram or Facebook, you will start being inundated with advertisements. If you watch television, advertisements on every imaginable way to lose weight. Gym memberships. And all the people that go to the gym every other day all year don't go in January until the people that pay for the gym stop going. But imagine if reading a book on exercise was enough. Or reading a book on dieting was enough. Or getting a gym membership was enough. It isn't. There has to be a discipline attached to it. And I've learned that people who are disciplined don't do it because they're smarter or stronger than you or me. You guys know who John Bevere is? You all know John. He comes here a lot. and uh, He has a wonderful, he and Lisa, ministry around the world. Now, John Bevere, and I told him, I said, you are so thin 
there's not enough fat on you to make a good sandwich. I said, and he eats in a way that is just crazy. I mean, like, it's crazy. And I said, John, how do you do that? And he said, John, I, I, really, I rarely like to tell people what I do. Let me tell you why I do this. He said, many years ago, I, I, I wasn't, you know, obese or heavy, but, but, you know, I had some extra on me, and I, I really wasn't taking care of myself, and I ate whatever I wanted. I'd go through McDonald's all the time, and, and the Holy Spirit in a time, listen, the disciplines are about God speaking to you, not just out of the Bible, but in your own heart, to give you direction that will, and understanding and revelation that will save and change your life. So John said, I was, uh, I was, I was praying and the Holy Spirit dealt with my heart. He said, if a friend gave you and lent you his Lamborghini for a year and it was worth a quarter of a million dollars, how would you treat it? And he thought about it. Well, you know, I'd never put it in the rain. I'd, and he said, basically, I probably wouldn't even drive it because I, it's just too valuable. What if, what, if, what if a rock chips it? He said, I gave you a body that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. You wouldn't put bad gas in the Lamborghini, yet you put bad food in you all the time. Why would you treat an automobile better and steward it better than the body I've given you? Because that body's my image. So John's eating has nothing to do with discipline. It has to do with the revelation that God gave his heart. And now he doesn't have to work at it. It's an understanding that he has. Now that revelation hasn't come my way yet. (laughs) But I've tried the discipline over and over again. Any of you like me? Hey, I can do great diets. I've done a million of them. You can be disciplined or you can have a revelation through a relationship. Jesus and his followers exercise certain disciplines. You cannot do what Jesus did in everyday life if we don't live like he lived. Now, I'm going to take you quickly through some of the disciplines. And they're, they're basically in two categories. The disciplines of abstinence and the disciplines of engagement. The disciplines of abstinence and the disciplines of engagement. Now, I'm not going to rest on these very long at all. And I'm going to tell you why I'm not in a moment. But just so you know, next year, uh, by, the, by the time you get to the fall, I will have built, personally, I'm going to be developing a small group around these disciplines. And I'll give you, I'll give you more detail later about it. But, and, and my hope would be sometime in late summer or fall, it would open up to the whole church. Because people don't know how to do this. It becomes law and rules. And in fact, when I read this list, some of you are going to get overwhelmed by it. Because you think you have to do them all every day and you don't understand this is a relationship. So the disciplines that I'm talking about will actually cultivate a spiritual hunger in you. Say out loud, spiritual hunger. Say it again, spiritual hunger. See, we're, we are designed to have a spiritual... In fact, by the way, everyone has it. If you love God or hate God or deny God, you have a spiritual hunger. You just don't know how to satiate it. Or you deny it. Because you think hungering for something spiritual is a list of things that you can't do or won't want to do or just get finished with. You know, there was a person, I'll just be vague, that would always bring food to family events. And it's a wonderful person, but the worst cook that ever lived on God's earth. And my brothers, when this person would bring food and put it out among all the other food, and you can imagine Italian 
food everybody's bringing stuff and my, one of my brothers would write her name on it and just put it right beside it so we would know and we never touched it we had no hunger for it most people have no spiritual hunger because they think it's that food that's lousy spiritual hunger is actually cultivated by the disciplines so let me go over them with you but let me first put them in this context these disciplines are basically the content and structure of every relationship you'll ever have and if these ultimately start in your walk with God you can transcend these into every relationship in your life the disciplines of abstinence let me just read them quickly to you and we'll unfold these in, in small group environments down the road and I'll cover some of these perhaps in the coming weeks but not much but these are the things that Jesus practiced not every day because you don't do everything every day in a relationship do you, you can, I'm going to read this and my Lord how do I do that all in one day you don't relationships don't work that way so Jesus practiced this in fact the early church were taught to practice these and the one of here's the ones of abstinence solitude simply being alone well that's not common in our culture is it there's usually something interrupting you even if you are alone silence that's certainly not an Italian virtue it's truly learning to sit and say nothing in silence and in solitude fasting that's also not an Italian virtue Fasting is one of the, the, the disciplines of Jesus. Contentment. That is not an American virtue. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Do we know how to live a contented life independently of our circumstances? Purity. You remember this, please. Sexuality is a gift from God. Not a feeling to be fulfilled. Sexuality is a gift from God not a feeling to be fulfilled and when you grasp what that means in a listen relationship with God your purity will not be something you fight for it will be something that emerges out of you that God empowers because we have a trap we have a culture today at epidemic proportions trapped in every form of sexuality that destroys people in every imaginable way and, and, it's, and it's deadly secrecy what do you mean secrecy keeping secrets that's good but that's not what it means it means secrecy is that you don't tell anybody what you've done good for them you don't boast about your virtue you just sit back and don't define who you are for people it's, that's not normal for people sacrifice sacrifice is when you lay something down for the benefit of another Jesus said it this way greater love has no man than this and he laid down his life for his friends and when you obey God like Abraham did it was a sacrifice these are the disciplines of abstinence but now the disciplines or exercises if you will of engagement these are these are wonderful and let me tell you the greatest outcome of particularly the disciplines of engagement as well as abstinence is it will teach you to be fully present in every time and every interaction that you have in relationships both with God and with people I don't know if you're like me I struggle sometimes to be fully present 
These disciplines will help you to truly be present, to not just give to people, but to receive. Not just to give, if you will, what you have in your heart toward God, but to receive from God. This is about an intimacy. See, because if you grasp the principle, Michelle and I have been married over 30 years. There have been times that certain of these disciplines of both abstinence or engagement, as they fit into a relationship, will become prominent. And that may just be one that you focus on for a year. But what about the other ones? They're not necessary right now, but that's how a relationship works. But most of the people, most Christians see these lists and they do things like this. I have to do this and then this and then this and then this. And you say, this, is, these, this list is confusing me. It's confusing you because you want to be able to make God predictable. And you want to have this false security that you can control your body. What if Michelle and I had committed to talk to each other 20 times, 20 minutes a day? We're going to talk for 20 minutes every day. And so we start and we both hit a stopwatch. Click. Okay, you're on the clock. Let's stop. Talking, talking. I'm in the middle of a sentence. It goes off and she said, okay, we're done. See you tomorrow. That is not a relationship. But that's how people see God. Okay, pray, pray, pray. I'm done. <sighs> now I can go do something else. It's not relational. Listen to the disciplines or exercises of engagement. Study. That means you literally immerse yourself in the study of God's word. You read books about the things of God. You listen to messages. Generosity and service is, 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 is a discipline of engagement. And what an amazing church in that regard. Prayer. Fellowship. That means being with Christian people and people in general. It's when your first circle is a Christian circle, though. Everyone say first. See, these are disciplines of engagement. So important. Confession. That means that when you're wrong, you, you acknowledge it before people if you've offended them or God. It also means, on the other side of it, saying what God says about you in your everyday life, in your common vernacular. Learning to speak in line with how God sees you. Not in some weird spiritual formation, but just the way you talk lines up with how God sees you. Do you know one that, that people don't think of God? It's celebration. It's Jesus did it. The early church did it. Celebration is godly partying. It's having a blast. It's laughing until you cry. That comes from God. People think if I'm sober before God, then I never smile. You're you're literally, you're pickled in lemon juice. That's not godly. That's weird. The Bible said, for his pleasure we were created. Pleasure comes from God. The last of the engagement disciplines or exercises is worship. Not just privately, but corporately. Of what we're going to do in just a moment. In all of our campuses is we're going to worship God. What does that mean? It means you enlarge Him in your life. You make Him everything. It's, it's, it's what you make first. It's pouring your heart and your words and your affection toward Him intentionally. Worship isn't a song you sing. It's a life you live. And what I want us to do as we worship in a moment, and I'm going to pray over everybody at all of our campuses, and then we're going to stand together and worship at all of our campuses. Here's what I'm praying for you and for me. 
Father, help me to develop a spiritual hunger. Deliver me from the lies of religion that makes spending time with you and engaging with you difficult and not light and easy. A relationship where you can change my life with one sentence that you speak to my heart and you're desperate desperate for me to hear that sentence more than I need to hear it. Cultivate in me, Lord, a spiritual hunger. Hunger is such a driving force. And I pray for those, Lord, today that that may know you and have walked with you maybe for a long time and for those who maybe are struggling and maybe for some that are under the sound of my voice that don't know you, that don't walk with you, that even deny you. There's a spiritual hunger in them and I pray as they're in this environment that you would touch their heart and help them to see how, how deep and rich your love is for them. Help us to answer that question with honesty before you. Father, do I have a spiritual hunger? Help me to cultivate it. Cry out for it to be developed in you. Cry out that, Father, I want to live like Jesus lived. Not just try to do what he did. I want to live like he lived. I want to have an intimacy with you that he had because it's available to me. As we come into your presence today and worship you, as we enter the the discipline, if you will, of engaging with you, Lord, to, to... to worship you for you alone are worthy you are God and you're worthy of our worship I pray that all of us will just give ourselves over to you and Holy Spirit you will do and speak in the hearts of men and women things that can change everything would you stand together with me here at the Cranberry Campus Meadville, Newcastle come on let's all stand together we're going to worship the Lord together and I pray now Holy Spirit, move in the hearts of your people today. Do things in the hearts and lives of people that only heaven can do. Manifest your presence and make yourself real in the most broken parts of our life where shame has tried to drive you out. We open our hearts fully to you and we choose to worship you regardless of how we feel. We worship you. Thank you for the empowerment to do it by the person of the Holy Spirit. Come on, at all of our campuses. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Victory Family Church. If you enjoyed listening, please take a moment to rate, review, and share. For more resources, including locations and service times, please visit lifeatvictory.com.